We are back and in our tour of Ariva Martin in real time, we are talking about efforts to erase Black history, particularly in states like Florida, and how the faith community and others are fighting back and what they are doing to make sure that students across the state of Florida and across this country really are given an opportunity to learn correct Black history. Uh, Reverend Rhonda Thomas, the Executive Director of Faith in Florida and Dr. David Eichardt, a professor of African-American studies at Vanderbilt University, are joining me in this hour. Thanks to both of you for being here for this very important conversation. I want to start with you, Dr. Eichardt. This whole issue of the erasure of Black history has been in the news lately because of efforts in states like Florida and uh, legislation passed by governors or signed into law, I should say, by governors like Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, and passed in state legislatures where there are super majority Republican lawmakers that uh, are in these state legislatures. But help us understand historically, the efforts to erase Black history isn't new. Uh, but why do you think there's this a resurgence of it that we've been witnessing over the last couple of years? I think you're on mute, uh, Dr. Icon. Can you can you hear me now? Yes. Ah, I said I'm sorry about that. A technical difficulty. That's part of a get older. You miss some things. Um, but what I was saying was that uh, there's a Faulkner, William Faulkner quote, um, that the past is not dead and gone. It's not even past, right? Um, and I say that because. A lot of what we're seeing with this this attempt to both erase African-American history and particularly the contributions of uh, the incredible um, contributions of African-Americans to every aspect of society, from culture to sports, to intellectual um, life, music, you name it. Right. We are at the center um, is um, not new. Uh, in fact, as soon as the Civil War was over, 18 66 Daughters of the Confederacy started a whole movement called the Lost Cause, in which they were attempting, and to some degree of great success, actually, to rewrite the narrative of the Civil War to make it appear that it wasn't about slavery, um, that the Confederacy was uh, composed of a bunch of, like, God-fearing, heroic, you know, folks who were fighting for their way of life. Um, and also portrayed slavery as having all these civilizing benefits to um, the Africans uh, who were brought over, and also that it wasn't some harsh, um, terroristic type of um, environment. What we're actually seeing now is a continuation of that, right? But what's different now than then is that that lost cause rhetoric, which which gave rise to all these Confederate monuments around the country, including one that's right up the road in Franklin, uh, Tennessee, is at the center of town. Um, one of the things that um, it was used to do was to, to paint this kind of rosy picture of the Confederacy and slavery. Um, but what's different now is that um, there's been such a um, concerted effort, powerful effort, intellectually to critique that very kind of dynamic and white supremacy and, um, you know, models such as black feminist intersectionality to really kind of tear down those narratives and what they mean that now the move is no longer to like 
like construct a, you know, this romanticized narrative, but literally to make it illegal, like in the, in the state of Florida, to even critique white supremacy. Right now, that is a very new and obviously quite dangerous move because what it does is it creates this idea that talking about black uh, contributions, talking about black history, interrogating white supremacy is not only anti-white, it's also anti-American and criminal. Mm. And now that is something new. Yeah, the anti-American piece, we see that a lot. If you do criticize anything, you know, criticize the history of this country, there's, you know, the forefathers or anyone involved in uh, slavery or, you know, the oppression of black people, then somehow you are anti-American. And, uh, you know, Reverend Thomas, tell us what was the catalyst for you? Uh, you know, Faith in Florida is designed to push back on some of the policies that have been enacted in the state of Florida, but was there was there a defining moment for you where you said enough is enough, that I've got to do something, that this is going too far? Yes. Um, and first of all, thank you for inviting me on your show. Um, several things was had hit the moment. Um, number one is we reached out to the Board of Education to have a meeting before it actually went into law. Um, to see if we could sit down and do some form of reasoning with faith leaders. And um, unfortunately, he did not respond to us. He being Governor Ron DeSantis? No, or... he had appointed the um, the Board of Education to okay. really take care of it. Okay. And so, um, so we reached out to the Board of, because we knew that's who he was going to appoint. I mean, mm -hmm. this is who takes care of it. And so we, right. that's where we started. Um, and then the fact that um, how it was being controlled in our public schools, the non-teaching um, and the realness of, of Black history, because um, it will offend white children. And so, you know, well, we've been offended all our lives from the time of birth mm -hmm. in this same Amen. country. And so to know that um, the attempt of diluting or erasing um, black history from being taught because um, it may offend white children. And then we had also what we were dealing with is the replacement conspiracy theory, knowing that there was some type of dilution around um, what was going on with how we, you know, teach black history because uh, um, some thought that they would be replaced. And then you got the critical race theory and all these theories that kept coming up against Black history being taught in its realness. So since Faith in Florida, this is our job, is to organize multiracial, multi-faith leaders around racial, economic, and social justice. It was easy to reach out to the congregations that fall up under our leadership, particularly um, Black churches, African-American churches, to say that we will pick the, um, the mantle back up that we once held, especially mm -hmm. in the South. Because mm -hmm. um, many times the people wouldn't look at Florida as being the South, but we're still very, very Southern. Um, and Black churches owning um, that we would um, teach Black history in its realness because we understood that Black history still sits in our pews right. um, where they can share their own story, their own teaching. 
Um, then secondly is um, we knew that it was important when our babies think that Martin Luther King is a parade uh, <laughs> and, and not know. A street and a parade <laughs> and a mall, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that, that became quite alarming. Um, and so the church has always played a major role in um, in Black history, the teaching of it. We understood, especially in the South, that our communities and our even our elected officials and candidates, they depended on the church, the black mm -hmm. church in particular. So um we just we we created Faith in Florida created a toolkit to give our faith leaders um something to start with, but yet they'll be able to teach it in their own way, giving them the liberation, because, you know, as Black people, we can be extremely creative, whether we teach it through the Word of God, whether we teach it through dance, through art, mm -hmm. but it will be taught in in its realness, and it won't be watered down. So well, let me ask you this, uh, Reverend Thomas, did you ever get a meeting with the Board of Education leaders for the state of Florida? Well, he did not show up. He... Mm. Said would meet. We were in Tallahassee, and you know where the capital is, where with faith leaders at a church in a very peaceful environment, and then some of our allies and champions that's a part of the legis, you know, black legislators also extended another invitation in a faith space, um, in Miami, and once again he did not show up. And, and he so, being, is this like the superintendent of education for the state of Florida when you keep referencing he? Okay. Yes. So to this day, the faith leaders, black faith leaders in the group that you lead have not met with the board of education leadership team. Not at all. Okay. And it's hey. not, yeah. So we've extended the invitation more than once. Mm -hmm. um, and so faith in Florida, we decided since we can't get a response and since we're determined it will not be watered down or erased. Um, we will teach it in its realness. Now, congratulations to you all, and thank you for doing this, taking it upon yourselves to do this. Uh, Professor Eichhardt, you know, great effort, obviously, by the Black churches coming together, trying to meet with the superintendent of education of the state of Florida, uh, and then, you know, when met with resistance, creating a toolkit to give to congregations throughout the state. I, Definitely applaud those efforts, but is that going to be enough? When you think about a law like the, the law in the state of Florida, you think about you know, what uh, Reverend Thomas said in terms of trying to prevent the teaching because they did not want anything taught in schools that would be offensive to white children. You know, where does that leave our kids who have to sit in those classrooms day in and day out? And those black families, Black and white families, particularly black families, though, they may not be affiliated with the church. You know, not all black folks go to church. Not all white folks go to church. Not, you know, the, the country right now probably has seen the biggest decline in participation in traditional, you know, church as we knew it, where, you know, church was at one point in this country played a much bigger role in terms of attendance amongst all groups and particularly black groups. But, you know, watching that decline you know, is, is this going to be enough? Mm. You know, James Baldwin once said in the fire next, fire next time, he said, it is not permissible that the authors of devastation should also be innocent. It is the innocence which constitutes the crime. 
And I think about that, you know, in terms of this particular uh, conversation, because this whole notion that somehow this is about protecting white children's innocence is in fact criminal. And it's based on uh, white supremacist mythology that is used to weaponize a certain kind of white violence and terrorism. Keep in mind that that raping white women was the chief rallying cry for 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 lynching uh, during the Jim Crow era. And of course, it was black women who exposed the fact that um, people were using this merely as a way to terrorize and control black communities. Right. Um, And so this is just another uh, version of that. And what this also should like activate for black people is that this is you know, this is not business as usual. This is an assault. This is an attack uh, on Black communities. And we have to respond with equal vigor. Like, this is a this is, this is is not going to be something we're going to be able to push back against piecemeal. This is, uh, this will require a movement. This will require um, um, organization, uh, structural pushback um, in every facet of the government, in every facet of culture. And one of the things I want us to be mindful of is this this rhetoric of cultural wars, right? You see CNN and MSNBC and all these Fox News, everybody keeps talking about cultural wars. This is simply racism, white supremacy, right? Raw and unapologetic. And we need to make sure as black folks, as when we talk about these, that we don't mince words. What DeSantis yeah. is doing is a totalitarian Nazi-esque type of white supremacist uh, move. And we need to call it out for what it is, because this is dangerous rhetoric. This is the kind of rhetoric that led that one guy to walk on at HBCU um, and attempt to like start assassinating people on that college and then turn to the local Dollar General and did just that. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up about culture wars, because when you frame what's happening in the context of culture wars, it's easy, uh, you know, it becomes uh, easy to dismiss the white supremacy piece, easy to dismiss the anti-Blackness, uh, which is a, a right. unifying thread through these right. policies and through this movement. And it, 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 it's a little more, it's palatable, right? Culture That's war right. sounds like maybe we're fighting about, I don't know, the, the latest Taylor Swift Hip-hop, song. Rap, music, right. hairstyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. We're Something having to fight about... Pedantic, right? Yeah, yeah it sounds like, pop culture, right. right? That probably conjures right. up in people's mind that this is really a fight right. about music or, you know, styles. Uh, it, right. it doesn't give Something it... Something that's trivial. Yes, it trivializes it and normalizes it because we've always had culture wars, you know, the 70s, the 80s. uh, And it is something much, much bigger than that. When we come forward, I want to talk about the progress that uh, the faith leaders have made in Florida. And you mentioned a movement, uh, Dr. Eichhardt. What does that movement look like and who's likely to lead it? Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. 
We're back and in hour two of Ariva Martin in real time, we're talking about efforts across the country to erase black history from public schools and universities and colleges, particularly efforts in Florida under the leadership of Governor Ron DeSantis. Reverend Rhonda Thomas, who is the executive director of Faith in Florida, is here, as well as Dr. David Eichhardt, a professor of African-American studies at Vanderbilt University. Uh, so, uh, Reverend Thomas, school started back uh, probably a month ago or so. What can you tell us about what is happening inside classrooms in the state of Florida as a result of uh, this new legislation in Florida that is prohibiting the teaching of black history, particularly any kind of history, as you said, that makes white kids uncomfortable? Okay. Um, unfortunately, we're losing educators. Um, they're retiring or going into another profession. profession. Um, that that's unfortunate based on some of the restrictions and, you know, they've gone to school, they're trained to teach in ways that will not offend others. Um, but it's, it's been, um, the limitations is really making, um, our educators detour from the profession that they love, um, as well as even professors from the, our universities is impacting, um, um, the educators overall, um, our children, some recognize it and some based on their age may not recognize the impact of what's being done. We're grateful because um, our program really launched um, right after it went in effect, which was July 1st, which most of the other bills that was passed that impact black and brown people um, in such a harsh way was, you know, that was just one of them. But we also was blessed in a way that um, churches who saw it morally wrong, white churches, um, some of our Muslims, um, mosques, who also committed um, when they realized the, how devastating it was um, to teach African-American history, knowing that they can't teach it the way the black church could, but um, they were willing to teach it in a way of accountability. And so um, that gave hope for our educators, um, Black people, our communities, as well as um, we can see that it, it, it is morally wrong um, in the way um, our faith, what our, based on what our faith says. So... So in addition to the work you guys are doing, Reverend Thomas, in terms of the toolkit and trying to make sure congregations have information where they can teach Black history, what is happening in the state of Florida to rid the government of leaders like DeSantis and the super majority in your state house, the super Republican majority? Uh, are there efforts happening to register more Democratic voters, to register more progressive voters, to register more young voters so that the, the state can be represented, you know, by leaders who have an appreciation for the importance of Black history? Um, <laughs> it's always something going on in Florida. Um, the same governor really made it very difficult, uh, passed legislation that made it extremely difficult for third party um, organizations such as Faith in Florida, who does voter registration. And we do it in a nonpartisan way because we represent the faith community. Um, but it's because, you know, unfortunately, 
he also created an election police department. And that police department um, and makes it difficult, but it has not detoured Faith in Florida and registering in the 41 counties in the state of Florida that we, we actually represent. So um, the campaign of, of African-American history being impacted as well as we're that much more determined to register young people to, to vote, um, to bring that awareness and to keep them informed on how they're impacted by what took place during legislative session as well. And we have 22 different states that have joined Faith in Florida to follow up under the program of, um, of our toolkit because of the impact that it may leave. Because um, many see if it happens in Florida and successful, um, it could impact other states. So, well, yeah, congratulations on that. I'm glad to see other states are picking up the mantle in the way that you all have done and using your model. Uh, Professor Eichhorn, this came up yesterday when we were having a conversation about the ouster of Kevin McCarthy. I was talking to an advisor to minority leader Hakeem Jeffries and, you know, all the chaos that we saw happen at our U.S. Capitol yesterday on the floor of the, the House, the infighting with Republicans, you know, leaving the House without a speaker. Uh, the advisor made a really good point. He said, Ariva, a lot of these same legislators, these chaos agents, these provocateurs who are just doing things to get media attention and to raise money will be reelected. So, and I understand, you know, a lot of it is, is uh, you know, in states where the, the governors and legislatures have gerrymandered in a way that <clears throat> makes it impossible in some cases to get rid of some of these legislators. But the movement you talk about has to include not continuing to send these same people, whether it's to the House, the Senate, or to the state houses in state like states like Florida. Well, you know, it's interesting, right? Because um, Derek Bale, one of the most controversial things that he said when he was alive, and of course, Derek Bell is the author of Critical Race Theory for all those who are uninitiated. Um, but Derek Bell, one of one of his arguments was that racism was a permanent institution and that so long as there would be a United States, there would be racism and black people in particular would be fighting anti-blackness and they would be fighting racism, right? Um, and what we're seeing now, it's just, you know, his, you know, his thesis continuing to, you know, to play out. Um, and what we have to understand, and I think part of, a lot of the times we get caught up ourselves as Black people in the romance of progress. We just assume that, you know, time has passed, you know, we've had a Black president. Um, surely we're not going to revert back to, you know, arguments about like slavery being beneficial or, you know, you know, all these kind of you know, genuflections to like white supremacy. Surely we're we've moved beyond the point in which we see diversity and equity and inclusion as a dangerous thing. But what we're seeing time and time again, and I think the problem is our cognitive dissonance, right? We keep seeing the fruits of white supremacy continue to blossom, but in our minds, we're like, well, this we can't be seeing what we're actually seeing. And I think it goes back to what Derek Bell was saying, like, yes. Like history, he keeps the receipts. So 
part of it is really us shifting our mindset and seeing, yes, white supremacy is here. A lot of these people are not voting for these people in this casual way because of white supremacy. They're voting for these people because they uphold white supremacy. And we need to kind of recognize that that's the America that we live in and shift our brains, shift our minds and our attitudes to recognizing that these people are here precisely because they uphold white supremacy. And we need to call it out. That's why I say we need to name it for what it is. And we need to change our mindset and recognize this is a this is going to be a fight that we're going to have to continue to wage because white and supremacy I, oh, is alive and well. How do we? That's such a great point, Dr. Icar. But it could be very depressing too, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, how do we hold space in our brains, the part of our brains that want to embrace that progress you just talked about—a black president, a black vice president? more black people in Congress, more black, you know, we, we're we on the precipice of maybe having six black senators for the first time ever in the history of this country. Now with Senator Butler, Senator out of Maryland may be elected, a Senator out of Delaware may be elected. So how do we hold space for that progress? Get that high, you know, that, that dopamine that we need for that progress while maintaining Derek Bell, who I revere, who I work for as a student at Harvard Law School, uh, how do we hold what he says, which is true, and what we want to look to as progress to feel good about? How do we hold those two thoughts in our brains uh, at the same time? Because I think that's where the struggle is. Uh, when we come forward, you can tell us how do we do that? Because a lot of us want to do it. <laughs> we want to do both. Yes. Uh, but it can be quite challenging at times. So stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. Okay, Dr. Icard, you are going to give us the secret of how we hold space for both of these thoughts, uh, that there is progress being made that we can feel good about, feel proud of. Uh, and also what Derek Bell has taught or did teach uh, when he was uh, alive and when he was very actively engaged in uh, issues of race, writing about and teaching about issues of race. And you said he uh, proffered that racism is an institution that is going to be with America for as long as America exists. So what's the answer, my friend? Well, I think you're the embodiment of the answer, right? The fact that you can be on the air and say the things that you say um, brilliantly with articulation that we can have a black president, which, you know, when I was my son's age, who's 21, such, such a thing was unthinkable, let alone a mm -hmm. black woman right of mixed race background you know in the white house a woman period right um and yet that's what we have i'm a full professor with tenure at you know a southern elite institution that 50 years ago you'd only see somebody looking like me mowing the grass mm -hmm. right um we have despite all of the obstacles that have been put bo before us, we have managed to emerge as the, the wealthiest group of Africans outside of Africa in the world. We are influencers globally in music and education and sports. 
um, the way we move, our vibe, our energy, our insight, our intellect, all of these things um, um, speak to the world, right? And so I think there's plenty to be optimistic about, right? I think what I, we embody that in all that we do. I think the, 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 the challenge is that when, you, when we see all the progress and all the things that we're able to do, we, it short circuits our kind of ability sometimes to recognize that despite all these advances, despite our critiques, despite, you know, our, you know, our increased wealth, um, that white supremacy is still alive and well and is still trying to put us back into service quarters. Um, and so that's the, I think that's the tug and pull, right? To, to remind folks of, from whence we've come, right? Which, you know, there is no Jim Crow anymore. Why? Because of the civil rights movement, because of the black power movement, right? The, the reason why we got Barack Obama into the White House and Kamala Harris into the White House is because black women, particularly organized in places like South Carolina and Georgia, right? And, and Arizona and places like that, right? And overturned those, you know, those, you know, turn those states from red to blue, right? We've done those things. We've transformed those, those, you know, those electorates, right? Um, we've done it and we'll do it again. Um, and I think we just have to sober ourselves up to the reality of where we are. So I don't think it's mm -hmm. a matter of being pessimistic or um, losing faith or losing hope. I think we have to both be sober to the challenge but also celebrate the fact that, um, you know, they've tried to kill us. They tried to take us out. And yet here we are right. still pushing, still being transformative, still being, you know, sexy and powerful and unapologetic. Right. Like and mm -hmm. so it's 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 all of those things. And we've been doing those things. This is not new to us. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, it's not new to us, but I, I guess this the remembering the sobering piece. Right. Uh, staring it in the face, accepting it. And I do think the progress can be so intoxicating and we yes. can be lured into this false yes. sense of, you know, uh, this, 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 this sense that we are here, that we've arrived, that we can relax. We can let our guards down, that we don't have to, you know, right. fight as hard. We don't have to scream as loud. Right. We don't have to march as, right. as, you know, as vigorously as we did back in the right. civil rights days. And I, right. I'm even noticing, and, I, you know, I'll ask you this, Reverend Thomas, even now having conversations about systemic racism, talking about race as, uh, you know, uh, something that, permeates every institution in this country. That conversation was a lot easier to have and people were more willing to listen to it six months after George Floyd was murdered than it is today. So when, even as you go forward with this toolkit, what kind of response are you getting? I know you talked about some of the white churches and Muslim uh, mosques coming on board, but have you met, have has your organization or your efforts, have you been, you know, have you had any opposition? Have you had folks saying, we don't need this. What the schools are teaching is enough. And, and you guys are just rebel rousers. You're just, you know, creating issues where there are none. Have, have you had people saying that to you? So far, no, <laughs> um, we have not. I won't say we won't encounter that, um, but so far we have not. What we have been able to see is 
and interest with our young people, the millennials and Gen Zs. Um, um, first of all, we're including them, whether they go to church or not. Um, mm -hmm. But we're including them, and there's a there's a uh, an excitement that we see that's beginning to brew, um, which is a good thing. Yes, uh, and, and so. I, you know, for example, I brought my 28-year-old son who lives in Atlanta back home just to teach a Black history class, but he drew his peers. And so the fact that they're asking, when are we going to do this again? Mm -hmm. But he made it so plain and relatable. Um, I think that's what did it in a way to keep their attention. And we, God knows we don't want to lose it. But we also want to include them by building a platform where um, they their voices can be heard, but they too can become history, but probably not the history that their grandparents was um, had to endure. So, yeah, so, no, that's good to hear. And, and where can people find out more, uh, Reverend Thomas, about the work uh, of faith in Florida? Okay, we, you can go on our website, um, www.faithinflorida, and you will see. Um, it's 67 counties in the state, and so far we're in 41 counties. Um, since I became the executive director, I'm the first Black woman. Um, often, Faith in Florida had white men trying to fix Black folks in Black communities. Um, that didn't work, so now they have me. And But all of our work, um, the constant fights that we're in, whether it's um, fighting for democracy, to protect it, uh, fighting for immigration by being intentional, by including black immigrants or just fighting the criminal justice system overall. So we invite you to visit our website and you can see the work that's going on in Florida. Again, congratulations to you on that. Uh, Dr. Uh, Eichert, do you see the model, the Faith in Florida model <clears throat> being one that can be replicated? Uh, are you seeing faith organizations doing what Faith in Florida is doing in other parts of the country? Well, I mean, I think that, first of all, you know, I should, you know, applaud the, the effort because of, I think um, it's this is an all hands on deck type of challenge, right? We need to, um, you know, make sure that the various parts of our community are engaged and not overlooked. And of course, the Black church has always played, um, you know, a pivotal role um, in that. It's, it's, it's no surprise that, you know, one of the you know, prominent leaders of the civil rights movement was, of course, a reverend, right, in terms of Martin Luther King and one of the most powerful, um, you know, iconic figures um, in the Black power movement was, of course, also a religious leader in Malcolm X, right? Um, that has been, you know, part of, you know, our rich uh, legacy. But of course, we're going to need um, various groups. We're going to need, right. um, you know, people who we don't necessarily oftentimes go beyond the, the boundaries of respectability, right? The down-home folks, right? The folks who go to the clubs, right? We need, we're going to need to engage some of those young folks, those those teenagers and and young adults who feel uh, disregarded and marginalized. Um, we're going to have to kind of start thinking very differently about uh, participation and try to 
uh, cast a much wider umbrella and uh, make the case why this is something that is bigger than politics and it's bigger right. than, you know, even just kind of, you know, black folks, right? This is in some cases, we're at a, at a point where we're literally trying to uh, preserve uh, an inclusive democracy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, secure things like the right to vote, right? Right. <laughs> right? I mean, Basic rights that we fought for, that we thought were secured. Uh, just real quick, I, I just got to tell you this real quickly, we were out of time, but Atlanta did an amazing job reaching those everyday folks you're talking about during the last presidential election. They had a big campaign where groups were going to the strip club. Magic City was the uh, the central location where they were recruiting and talking to folks coming into the strip club about the importance of registering to vote and getting out right. their vote. And I remember interviewing several of those actual strippers that worked in Magic City uh, and how influential they had become in increasing voter registration Absolutely. in the state of Georgia. Uh, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Dr. Eichhardt. Always good to be in conversation with you. And congratulations, oh, Reverend Ron- Rhonda Thomas, on the work you're doing with Faith in Florida. Keep on doing what you're doing. We see you and we appreciate you. Indeed. Next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580.